evening. It's good to see everybody here tonight. Glad to have you joining with us there online, whether that's on Facebook or Twitter at HBC Tullahoma or YouTube at Highland Baptist Tullahoma. Uh, we also have our phone live streaming there, uh, so you can get that number by calling the church office uh, if you need that. Uh, be sure to give us the thumbs up there on Facebook and on YouTube. Uh, retweet us there on Twitter, uh, and then be, able, be sure to give us the hearts, the likes, all those things, uh, and sharing uh, the posts there on Facebook. That just gets the word out uh, a little bit more uh, for us uh, to let others know about our service uh, because I may have friends in my circle that you have friends in your circles that don't overlap and so that gives us uh, more coverage there the more you share that even if you're here in person uh, you can jump on real quick and do that on Facebook and just check in and then uh, share that with others uh, if you're at home there I encourage you to go to the church website highlandbaptistchurch.com uh, it's under the info tab there that you can download today's worship bulletin a lot of upcoming activities uh, that are in that and so I want to encourage you to take Take the time to, to download that if you need those in person uh, they're around at different places at the locations as you come in uh, we'll be glad to get you one of those or you can get up at any time and go get one of those if you want the children's worship bulletins they're under that info tab online also you can download them print them off you can send the link to anybody you want uh, and share those with others we do have those printed versions here in person over in the windowsill if you want to grab uh, one of those and then also uh, there under that info tab is the prayer list so I encourage you to take the time to get that downloaded uh, so that you can be praying through the prayer list all this week uh, especially for those who, who have uh, more have some of the the needs that have just recently uh, come up on there that maybe you've been praying for some of the others but we have some new individuals who've been added to that list also while you're there on our church website go to the far right hand side click the give online tab you can do your online giving there you can do that in person uh, offering envelopes are in the pews in front of you and then also uh, we do have our connection cards I think there's about three in the little holder they're in the holders on the wall that's where we're putting those uh, so there's three back there there's none on this side so if you need one go back there uh, to that one and you can grab uh, one of those everybody I think a lot of people got them this morning uh, but this will just help us to get that information out uh, to and especially to gather that information from you uh, to get your permission to send uh, those call outs on special announcements uh, special church events uh, you may already be signed up for the urgent prayer request but still go ahead and redo that so we can get that permission for that and the one thing I think we forgot this morning we mentioned of course that Awana is starting on the 7th uh, with our kickoff then and our beginning time for Awana on the 7th. But also they're still needing uh, some help in providing for, this, for some simple meals for around 30 to 35 Awana kids uh, and workers. Uh, and we're asking even if your Sunday school class uh, wants to help uh, to please call uh, Linda, Terry, or myself. Uh, and we can let you we can get you there Amy you can call her at the church office too and let her know and we'll get you plugged in to help there's a lot of other ways you can help uh, also with that and serving the meals and and helping with other things if you want to help with the children uh, just remember you have to have been a member for six months and then do all your background checks and all those things for us to be able to uh, have you serving uh, with our kids uh, but we're glad to have everybody that's here tonight looking forward to a wonderful time of worship and and the word uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer and then brother Mike can come and lead us Heavenly Father thank you for the many blessings that you've given to us thank you for this beautiful day for the showers that you sent our way uh, this afternoon to refresh uh, the grass and the plants around us Lord to continue to give them life and father I pray that just as you do that may you shower uh, blessings upon us also 
have us, Lord, uh, in your hands and lead us and guide us in everything that you would have us to do. Help us to be faithful, uh, committed followers. Uh, and we know that we can only do that by the power of the Holy Spirit in dwelling within us, changing us and conforming us into the image of Jesus Christ. So bless us tonight as we come to worship you. Bless your word as we hear from you in your word. And we just pray, God, that your presence will be here with us tonight. Touch our hearts, change our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Brother Mike. Mark 9.23 says, everything is possible for him who believes. So we're going to sing a, a little song tonight, Only Believe, which is 534. Uh, it only has eight measures, so we're going we're to sing through it twice. So 534, Only Believe. Ms. Pat. Amen. I make it difficult on Mike every week <laughs> trying to find songs to go with these message titles, uh, but this one goes right along with it. Uh, our message tonight is entitled Unbelieving Belief unbelieving belief and that sounds like an oxymoron sounds like it contrasts with each other but you'll understand what we mean by that uh, when we get into the text uh, tonight how could you possibly have unbelieving belief so let's stand as you read God's Word in honor of his word mark chapter 9 and we're just going to begin with verse 14 to start with and when they came to the disciples they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for your word tonight, for your truth, for uh, just what you're about to teach us through this passage about unbelieving belief. And Father, I just pray that you would uh, help us to, to grasp the understanding here of this passage. Help us, Lord, to uh, apply it to our hearts and our lives with the application that we'll see. And Father, I just pray that you will use it to strengthen our walk with you and to bring those uh, who are without Christ to faith in Christ. So bless your word tonight. Uh, speak to us, Lord, and help us to hear you. Whatever things may be crowding out the voice of your Holy Spirit speaking, Lord, help us to put those things aside. Help us to listen intently to you speaking to us through your word. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. John Ortberg uh, opens the final chapter of his book called Faith and Doubt uh, with, this, uh, with this comparing faith to being on a trapeze. You've seen a trapeze before, right? 
at the circuses. Typically, that's where you'll see them. Sometimes you'll see them in uh, some performing places uh, like Circus de Olay. Uh, Soleil. You'll see them, and uh, they'll be on these trapeze, and they'll be uh, flying from one and then jump, letting go and grabbing the hands of the next person uh, who's there to catch them. Uh, and so here's what he says in his book in his final chapter. He says, this isn't a story as much about faith as it is about God. He said, it's not the size of our faith that matters most, but the size of our God. He said, there are three moves in the leap of faith on, from a trapeze artist and, and letting go of the, uh, there on the trapeze. And he says, uh, it's the letting go of the trapeze, or whatever your trapeze is, waiting, and then being caught. Letting go, waiting, and being caught. And he asked in his book, what is the hardest of these three for you? Uh, because he uses this as an analogy to us uh, with, with our spiritual walk with the Lord. Uh, he talks about which of those builds the most character. Which one gets easier the more time you practice your faith? Which one do you have any control over? Well, the first thing that he talks about is, is the letting go. He said God came to Abraham and said, let go. Uh, he, that's what he told him when he came, he came to him and he told him uh, to bring his, his son Isaac to offer him uh, on the altar of sacrifice. He told him basically let go. Uh, he had told him that when he left his, his homeland. He said leave everything behind you. Leave all your family. Leave all your kin uh, and go to a place that I'll show you. He basically was saying to him let go of everything familiar. Let go of your family. Let go of your home. Let go of your culture and go where I tell you. And, and he basically asked Abraham, will you do that? Will you let go? You know, the Lord is asking us that also. Will you let go? Uh, you remember Jesus came to a rich young ruler one day, uh, and Jesus loved this guy, and he said, will you let go? Uh, remember, the, he was the rich young ruler. Riches had him rather than him having riches. And, and, and so basically the Lord was saying to him, will you let go? Will you let go uh, of your riches, your money? Uh, will you give away all your possessions and sell them and give the money to the poor and come follow me? Well, Jesus, you also remember, spoke to a woman who was caught in an adulterous affair. Uh, and he told her, go and sin no more. Uh, he basically was saying to her, would you let go of those relationships that are dishonoring God? Let go of your attachment to money. Let go of your attachment to power. Uh, be a servant. Let go of your addiction. Admit it. Get help, uh, Ortberg says in his book. Let go of our bad habits. Let go of our grudges. Let go of your ego, your pride, your money, your reputation, your obedience. Where might we need to be letting go? What is it that stopped us from doing what God wants? And he asked this question, is trusting God an issue for you in letting go? He talks about the second part of, uh, of the act of the trapeze, and that's the waiting. You let go of the bar, and then you're just there in midair, waiting for the catcher to catch you. And so Ortberg says this about waiting. He says, waiting is that in-between time, spiritually for us, when we've responded to God, but things aren't yet the way we want them to be. We keep obeying. We keep trusting. Uh, we keep saying yes. We hold out our hands. God, I can't make things turn out the way I want them to be. I don't have control. The flyer can do nothing. The catcher has to do everything. 
Sometimes he said, we, we try to shorten a season of waiting for God by taking things into our own hands. And so often, what are the results? I mean, we make things more of a mess than they were. Uh, he said that when we wait on God, even if it's a long time, we eventually see God's faithfulness come to pass. What are you still waiting for, he says in his book. And then he uses this third illustration of the letting go, the waiting in the air, and then the being caught. I mean, we can't be caught, he says, until we let go. That's the final truth, and Orberg puts it this way. He says, there's no way to God that bypasses the call to let go. Uh, he said, you may have many intellectual doubts, and it's really important to be honest about those, to talk about them and to study. He said, however, thinking and studying alone will never remove the need to choose. The question of faith is never just an intellectual question. Frederick Del Bruner said this, the Christian faith is sort of bipolar, he said. Discipleship lives their faith, or disciples live their faith between worship and doubt, trusting and questioning, hoping and worrying. John Ortberg says in that book, Faith and Doubt, disciples are not people who never doubt. They doubt and worship. They doubt and they serve. They doubt and they help each other with their doubts. They doubt and they practice faithfulness. They doubt and they wait for their doubt one day to be turned to knowing. You know, here what we see in this passage is, remember Jesus, as we said this morning, has just had this awesome experience with these three disciples uh, upon this mountain, this mountaintop experience, if you will, a climax, a high experience. You know, you know when you have those types of experiences, sometimes uh, our youth have those kinds of experiences when they uh, go to a camp uh, for the summer. It's just an awesome time of worshiping the Lord, of spending time with the Lord. Sometimes you, you just have something extraordinary happen in your life and you just feel like you're on the mountaintop with the Lord. We have those mountaintop experiences. Experiences. Now, more often we seem to think we feel that we have those valley experiences more than we do the mountaintops. Uh, but did you know the only way to have a valley is to have mountains on either side, uh, to have the hill on either side. And so you're going to have uh, times that you're in the valley, but to get out of the valley, you've got to go up. And so there are going to be those times, sometimes higher than others, uh, that you're going to have those kinds of experiences. Well, here's Jesus and these disciples who, who've had this experience on the mountain there of the transfiguration of Jesus Christ. And once Jesus and these three disciples come down from this mountain, the scene in, in, in Mark's gospel here begins to shift from one extreme to the other. And you'll find this story in, in several of the Gospels. You'll find it in Matthew. You'll find it uh, in Luke also. And what we see is that it turns from the glory of God uh, upon the mountaintop experience uh, to the pain and the suffering of the world. Uh, now, I want you to understand there's some things that we're going to see in these verses uh, that words really do matter. And there's some special words that we're going to see uh, in this passage. There's many kind of different words in this passage, and each one of those words tells the story. Uh, I want you to see, first of all, that we find in verse 14, the words of confrontation. The words of confrontation. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't like confrontation. Uh, I don't like uh, disagreements and, and fighting with one another with our words, especially, much less physically. <laughs> so, but, he, but he says here... When they, came, when they came to the disciples, they saw, uh, I'm sorry, yes, and when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. 
So, so get the picture here. Jesus and these disciples have descended from the mountain. He sees a great crowd. And they've seen great crowds before. And every time we've seen those great crowds, Jesus has compassion on those crowds. Well, he sees this great crowd that's gathered at the foot of this mountain. They're waiting for him to return. Kind of like when Moses was on the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments. The people were down there at the bottom waiting for Moses to come down. Uh, from this Mount of Transfiguration down to the valley, down below. And we find here in these verses that these scribes are caught up in an argument, and even some of, of the other disciples are caught up in this argument also. What is this argument? Well, we're going to see what it is here. But, but the point is, is that they're arguing. There's confrontation. Confrontation uh, in, in this respect, in the arguing here, uh, usually never winds up good. The second thing we see are words of expectation. Words of expectation. Look at verse 15. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. So they see Jesus. They see these disciples. Now you remember the description of Jesus when he was on the mountain. Uh, we, we saw there that his face was shining like the sun. His garments were bleached out uh, from, from the glory, the Shekinah glory of God emanating through him. Uh, and, and so uh, he still has that presence about him. You remember when Moses came down off the mountain, they didn't want anything to do with Moses. They didn't want to touch Moses. But here they see Jesus, and the Bible tells us they were greatly amazed. The King James Version tells us that they saluted him. Uh, what we see here is they ran up to him. They they greeted him. They come out uh, with, 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 uh, with words and, of hope and expectation uh, as they see Jesus. They're, they're looking to see what Jesus has to say. They're looking for, for hope. And so we see from words of confrontation to words of expectation, now to words of investigation. We see this goes all over the place. Verse 16 says, and he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? Now, who is he speaking to here? He's speaking to these disciples. He's speaking to those who are around, speaking to the scribes. And he's saying, what are you guys arguing about? The implication is that it's escalated into a shouting match, if you will. And nobody's listening to one another. Uh, you know those kinds of events. You've seen them happen. You maybe have experienced them yourselves. Um, and, but, and so they're not an honest investigation here. Jesus is the one who's investigating them and asking them, what are you arguing about with them? You know, sometimes it's good for us to just step back from the situation and to realize what is it we're really arguing about? Because so often you think about arguments that we have with our spouse. You know, many times, if we were to sit and think about what are all the arguments I've ever had with my spouse, most of them we couldn't even remember because they were insignificant. Uh, they were about little things, uh, things that really didn't matter. And, and so that's what Jesus is kind of trying to get these guys to do. Step back from the situation. What is it that you're arguing about? Those are the words of investigation. But then we see some words of desperation. Because remember, we've been on this mountaintop experience, and now we're coming back down to the real world, where the hurt is, where the suffering is. And we find out in verse 17 and verse 18, after Jesus asked them, what are you arguing about with them? He says, and someone from the crowd answered him. Here's what we're arguing about. Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. 
And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. So in the midst of this argument comes one from this crowd, and, and Jesus was approached by this man here who, who has a son who has seizures, maybe like an epilepsy event here, uh, that's a result, though, of demon possession, as we're going to find out in just a moment. And Matthew says in his gospel about this that this boy had seizures, and he would often fall into the fire and even into the water, Matthew 17, 14 says. And when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he has seizures and he suffers terribly, for often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him. So get the picture here. Suffering can be violent. It, it reminds us of the tragic pain of living even in a sinful world. There was this sickness here uh, that caused embarrassment for this man and for his son. You know, demon possession and, and epilepsy uh, in that day were considered, uh, especially epilepsy, were considered cure, cursed diseases, diseases that caused isolation and, and rejection by society, kind of like leprosy uh, was. And, and because of society's reactions, families were often embarrassed when a, when a member was, was afflicted. We even see that still today. I mean, just imagine the scene. Here's this child and this father uh, who were uh, right in the midst of a shameful experience, and they were the subject of the questioning and the ridicule and the arguing. Imagine the embarrassment of being the focus of this crowd's attention. He's brought this boy to Jesus. Jesus wasn't there. He's up on the mount. He asks the disciples, what can you do? Can you heal him? They try to heal him and they can't. And so everybody begins to get in an argument. Why can't you heal him? What's going on? I thought you were with Jesus. I thought he gave you his power and his authority. And so this whole discussion begins and it begins to escalate more and more. And, and we see that, that they are living, this, this man and his son are in the middle of all this. You don't want to be in the middle of the discussion, the middle of the, the argument yourself. And, and so notice about Jesus' disciples. Jesus' disciples, they in essence had lacked the faith to do what Jesus had given them authority to do, namely to deliver this boy from a, a destructive demon. In this picture we see that Jesus endures our unbelief. Because keep in mind that this is the same Jesus who we saw in his unveiled glory in the previous verses, the one who was with the Father in glory and who commanded myriads of angels, he's now confronted yet again with the unbelief of men, even the unbelief of his own disciples. So get the picture that Jesus comes down from this mountain. Here's his disciples. The scribes are arguing. Here's this man who's in need of some help much like the church today, and the very people who should have been able to help him were the disciples. Nine disciples were there. Three were up on the mountain with Jesus. So nine of them were there when this man first came for help, and yet not a single one of them was able to help. Why? We're going to see why in just a moment. They, but we notice here that they all lacked the power. There was the presence of, of weak faith. The father's faith was weak. He was part of what Jesus was going to talk about in verse 19 as the faithless generation. 
We'll find out that he even asked the father, uh, if you can believe, uh, then your son could be healed. Uh, and then in verse 24, when he cries out to Jesus and says, help my unbelief. And we're going to talk about that even more. But we see those words of desperation. You know, sometimes we come in our lives to that place where there's nowhere else for us to turn but to Jesus. Really, that's where we should have turned to start, to start with from the very beginning. But notice here the words of frustration from Jesus in verse 19. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And so we see in those words, and maybe not in the way I just read it to you, but when you read those words, you begin to sense the frustration of Jesus with this failure of faith. They have seen Jesus demonstrate uh, the, the power of God over and over by bringing healing after healing after healing. He has given his disciples authority and power to go and to do the same types of things and even greater things. And we see Jesus' frustration here. The fact that he doesn't immediately Immediately reject his disciples though reminds us that God is patient not only does he endure our unbelief but also Jesus meets our needs because notice the words of demonstration in verse 20 so he said to bring him to me and they brought the boy to him and when the spirit saw him Immediately, when the spirit, this evil spirit, the demonic spirit saw Jesus, immediately it convulsed the boy and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. Now, this, this boy, he's helpless. He's under the power of this evil spirit that's, that's really literally tearing at him. He, he convulses. It causes him uh, to wallow around on the ground, foaming at the mouth. And, and so the sight of this boy in such a condition as he was touched and, and even grieved the heart of Jesus Christ. And, and so notice some words of clarification. Jesus asks, uh, to clarify some things uh, in verse 21 and verse 22. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And the father said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into the fire, into, into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. So Jesus asked the father, how long? The man said two significant things. He says, if you can do anything, help us. And then he says, have compassion on us and help us. Now understand, Jesus cared for this father just as much as he cares for this young boy. The father is hurting in his heart. It was his love for his son that had drove him to come to Jesus to start with. And Jesus wasn't there. He had been up on the mountain. And so Jesus knew, Jesus knew that and Jesus knew something else. He cries for, for the compassion of Jesus if Jesus really did have the power to help. Now understand this. It's not so much our faith as it is our cry for mercy and compassion that stirs God to help us. It's not so much our faith as it is the object of our faith, God himself, that saves us. Here's what Psalm 34 verse 18 says. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed 
in spirit. That's a promise from the Word of God that you can stand on. Psalm 91 and verse 14 and verse 15 says, Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. That's what God says to those who love him, to those who are following him. It says in verse 15, When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We need to find ourselves and to get ourselves to this place that this man came to where we cry out, Lord, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. So then notice these words of invitation in verse 23. And verse 24, and Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. So notice some things about what goes on in this, these two verses here. Uh, our, our spiritual immaturity has to be acknowledged before God to receive God's blessings. This father's faith was an immature faith, and yet Jesus throws these words back to him. Remember, he had said, if you're able to, Jesus, if you are able to heal my child, would you show some compassion and would you show mercy? Jesus says, if you believe. So he throws his words back to him. It's not a question of if I can it's a question of if you can believe. If you can believe, the Bible says all things are possible to him that believeth. And so all things are possible to the Son of God. The power of God is available, but we have to trust God's power. Jesus isn't saying here that somehow you need to muster enough faith. You just need to gather enough uh, willpower together and just have faith in God. Just suck it up and muster up some faith within you. Because notice here, this man realizes, I can't fix my son. And yet he comes to Jesus. And the spiritual immaturity has to be acknowledged by humility and crying for help. This man was weak, but he was, his need was desperate. So he accepted the Lord's word. The man responded in humility, and he cries out with tears, and he says, Lord. Remember, Jesus said, if you believe. And this man says, Lord, I believe. Now, that would be good. If that's all the man said. But notice what else he says. He says, I believe, but help my unbelief. What we see is this man is caught in the middle, in the middle of faith and doubt. The, the place we so often find ourselves in. And so here is this man who cries out to Jesus, Lord, I believe. But there's some problems here in my heart and in my life, and I need your help. I, I can't believe the way I need to believe. I need you to help my unbelief. He cries out for Jesus to help him even in his faith. He needed help even in believing. But he did the one essential thing that needs to be done that all of us ought to do. He cries out with all of his heart and with all of his being. And he says, Lord... I can't do it by myself. I need help. 
You know, every single one of us, uh, no matter what the crisis is or the trouble or the trial or the tribulation it is that we're facing, have to come to that place where we realize, Lord, I need your help. I believe you're able. I believe you're capable. But Lord, help me with those doubts. Help me with my unbelief. It wasn't the faith, notice here, also of the boy, but the faith of the father. We don't even hear what this boy is asked about. It's not this boy who's come requesting Jesus to heal him. It's the father. And so notice we're invited to pray just like this man. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. But then notice also these words of exhortation in verse 25 down through verse 27. And so when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together. So uh, we kind of get the idea here that, that when Jesus came down, remember there was a crowd, they were arguing. And, and out of that comes this man who says, here's what they're arguing about. They're arguing about me and my son and your disciples who couldn't heal him. And, and so I need some help here. And, and so it's almost like Jesus has taken this man and pulled him over to the side and, and they've been having this conversation over here while the crowd is still over there. And then Jesus noticed after he's been talking to this man, after this man professes and says, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Verse 25 says there that he saw the crowd and they came running together. And notice what he does. He rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. In verse 26 it says, And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse. So that most of them said, He's dead. I mean, think about it. Here were these disciples who couldn't do anything, and now they're seeing what Jesus has done and saying, come out of him, and the boy's laying there like he's dead. And, and so their minds are beginning to, to think, well, Jesus has killed this boy. But notice here about Jesus. He had exhorted, he had told this demon to come out of him. In verse 25 and verse 26, as he heals this demon-possessed boy, instantly bringing him out of his misery. Notice that Jesus alone has the power to heal. He alone has the power to save, to deliver, to meet the deepest needs of our lives. Jesus healed this boy when he saw this crowd come running toward them. He had apparently pulled this father aside, as we said, and, and he was wanting to help this father's concentration to think about what was happening here, to build this father's faith and trust in, in him, in Jesus. And, and so it was the word of Jesus that healed this boy. It was his word that broke the devil's power. That word rebuked it is strong, it's authoritative, it even severe. Know this, that Satan cannot stand before God's word. The evil spirit makes one last effort to disrupt, to discredit the power of Jesus Christ. This evil spirit, as so often happens, apparently attempts to destroy, maybe even to kill this boy. So that in the process, it could make a mockery of Jesus. To say, see, he doesn't have the power. See, this boy, he's dead. And Jesus, notice what we see happens in verse 27. After he told that demon to come out, the boy's laying there like he's dead. Most of the people begin to say, he is dead. And verse 27 says, but Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up 
and he arose. What a powerful picture that we see of Jesus' power over demons, Jesus' power uh, over destruction, Jesus' power over death, Jesus' power over uh, any of these demons. He takes this boy by the hand, lifts him up, and he arises. And all of this to bring us to where we come to in verse 28 and verse 29. Words of explanation. Because the question is still there. What was they arguing about? Why these disciples couldn't heal this boy. And so he said to them, or verse 28 uh, says, When he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them in verse 29, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Other versions add the word fasting there. Matthew's gospel adds the word fasting there also. Prayer and fasting. Notice that this spiritual immaturity and faith of this man can be conquered and spiritual power is available, but it can be conquered by, by seeking the spiritual power of God Almighty. The disciples wanted to know, why have we failed? They wanted to know the cause. And so this is where we learn that Jesus is the one who enables our ministry. We don't all know all that was going on in the minds and the hearts and the motives of these disciples as they failed to cast out this demon. Something they had previously succeeded at uh, by Christ's authority. They had done this before, but this time they couldn't. And, and so remember, Jesus had already given them the power uh, over evil spirits, and they had already exercised that kind of power. And so they couldn't understand why have we failed uh, when, when we've been successful before. Notice these disciples had likely begun to look at their ministry as mechanical. You know, sometimes that happens for us. You know, we start out great in the faith. We're excited for the Lord. Uh, we're excited about our relationship with Him. We've got a passion within us that's burning like a fire. And then somewhere along the way, it's like we're just going through the motions anymore. We're just going through the motions. We're not growing in our faith anymore. And so they couldn't understand why they had failed when they had succeeded before. And so they're looking at their ministry. They're seeing it mechanical, being dependent on their own ability instead of God. And Jesus points them in a different direction, the way of trusting in his power. He says spiritual immaturity can be conquered by prayer and fasting. And so Jesus pointed to one thing. The disciples weren't living where they needed to be. They weren't living close to God. They weren't praying and fasting the way they should have been. Uh, they weren't seeking him enough. They weren't putting him before food and before other things. Jesus was saying to them in essence, you've tried this thing in your own strength and you failed. They had been down in the valley. They hadn't been on the mountain with Jesus. They weren't prepared. Uh, they were taking time for other things, taking time to eat, but not taking time for God. In Matthew's gospel, here's what Jesus also says about this, past, about this event. Matthew 17, verse 20 says, he said, Because of your little faith, this is why, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. 
So when we start to think about, well, if I just had enough faith, if I could just muster up enough faith, how much faith do we have to have? How much faith do the disciples have to have? The grain of a mustard seed. So it wasn't uh, the, 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 the faith itself, it was the object of their faith. And so Jesus was urging them to focus on the object of their faith. A, a little bit of faith in a great God can accomplish great things. Even mountains, Jesus says, will move. He says nothing is impossible for the man or the woman of God who trusts in the power of God to accomplish the will of God. It's not how great your faith is. It's how great is your God. Go back and look at the words again of Jesus' frustration, the words of frustration in verse 19. Because this is where I want to bring the application back to us for it. Verse 19, he said, he answered them, O faithless generation, how long? How long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? How long? Jesus rebuked the generation standing before him. But in all honesty, every generation was rebuked because every generation has proven to be faithless. Having no faith saddened and brought sorrow to the Lord's heart and expressed that sorrow. How long will I be with you? How long will I bear with you? Notice this child, this boy, hadn't been healed because of weak faith, but it wasn't just the weak faith of the disciples or the weak faith of this father. No one had faith enough to heal this child. The father didn't have enough faith. The disciples didn't have enough faith. The religionists, the scribes certainly didn't. So who is Jesus rebuking in this verse? Who are the faithless? Who is Jesus speaking to? Well, the answer is clearly seen. There wasn't a single person present who helped this desperate child. Not the father, not the crowd, not the disciples. All they were doing was arguing, not even the questioning religious people. The father was unbelieving. The crowd was unspiritual and worldly. The disciples were ineffective and powerless. And, and the religious group, they were self-centered and critical. And yet Jesus tells us as believers in Luke chapter 11 and verse 9, And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. And so what we find is we find faith in the presence of God. We see that in Jeremiah's uh, book where Jeremiah 29 verse 13 says, You will seek me and find me when? When you seek me with all your heart. That was the point. The disciples had not been seeking him with all of their heart. The father had not been seeking Jesus with all of his heart. Uh, the crowd had not been seeking Jesus with all of his heart. He was speaking to all of them. You are a faithless generation. And we ourselves are a faithless generation when we're not seeking him with all of our heart. Proverbs 8 verse 17 says, I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently will find me. 
Timothy Jones in The Art of Prayer said this. He said, we don't like to stand speechless or stammering before God, but that doesn't mean that God holds us against us when we do. He, he said, and uh, gave a story, an illustration that he had experienced. He said, I remember vacation uh, with my parents in France when I was in high school. He said, I just completed two years of French, hardly enough to make me fluent. He said, still, there were tourists wanting to make the, uh, wanting to make the most of our time. So when we needed a bathroom, when we needed to find a cafe, or when I lost my eyeglasses, Glasses, he says, uh, on the steps of the L'Eglise du Sacré-Cœur. I don't know if I even said that right. He said, I, he said, I butchered uh, French. I probably butchered that right then. <laughs> he said, I was trying to politely, uh, to the politely suppressed laughter of others to speak the language. He said, but I remember more than the townspeople's bemusement. I remember how they warmly received my efforts. They strained to hear past my fractured sentences. They honored me by responding. And this is what he says in his book. Is God any less generous? He hears all that arises from us. He hears the words from our mouth. He hears the longings of our heart. He hears the thoughts of our minds, the intentions of our will. He hears the regret and the grief and the thanksgiving and the hope. God hears our emotions, not just our grammar. And because of his grace, not because of our eloquence, we can pray. He said, even if we stammer. See, here's where it starts. It starts with saying, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Remember that illustration of the trapeze, letting go, waiting, being caught? That word trapeze, the little bar between the ropes that a trapeze flyer has to let go of, comes from the ancient Greek trapeza, meaning a table. About the only time it's used in the New Testament is when the writer claims that Jesus gathers his friends around the table, the trapeza what we call the communion table, and teaches them that he will have to let go of his life for them and that the only way to hang on to one's life is to let go. And then he does. He goes from there to the cross, letting go, waiting, and being caught. Let me ask you tonight, where do you still struggle? Do you struggle to let go and trust God by faith? Do you struggle to just wait? Do you want to just pick things up and fix it yourself and handle it yourself when we know that's going to make more of a mess of the situation? Or do you trust the catcher fully? How can we start the journey from doubt towards faith? Here's what you can do. Start with what we know about Jesus. What we know Jesus said is true. And actually do what he says to do. To let go. And then to wait. And to wait. And you may have to wait some more. But know that the catcher, God Almighty, has you firmly in his hands. All we have to do is take that one little step toward faith, realizing that the, the, the faith that he's talking about there is the object of our faith, not what we have within ourselves to bring it about. 
the object of our faith is God Almighty, who with him there is nothing that is impossible. It reminds us that it's God who does the work of catching, not us. God is looking for those who have a willing heart. And it starts with us saying, Lord, I believe. I believe your promises. I believe your word. I believe your truth. From cover to cover, I believe it. But Lord, I have to be honest. There's some, there's some doubt sometimes. And I need you, Lord. I need you because I can't do it. I need you to help me with my unbelief. Unbelieving belief. Trust him and he will hold you firmly and catch you firmly in his arms. What a day that's going to be when one day finally we enter into his presence and he catches us in his arms and wraps his loving arms around us to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, if every one of us here tonight, those who are watching online are honest with ourselves, we're a lot like this man was, this father. We know the one who is the source of healing. We know he's the only one who can do it. And yet, we still struggle because of the flesh, because of uh, this world that pulls at us to, to, to put our focus somewhere else instead of on you. Lord, help us to learn through the process of life that when we're facing those struggles, when we're facing trials and tribulations, when we're facing those things especially that we have no control over, to just let go. Say, here I am, Lord. I believe you have the power. I believe you are capable. I believe there is nothing that is impossible with you. And yet, Lord, in my human thoughts and my conception of things here, Lord, I don't understand it all. I don't understand how or why you're doing things the way that you're doing. But, Lord, I know you have that power. So, Lord, I believe, yet help my unbelief. Help me to trust you. Even if it means that once I let go, I have to wait a little bit. I have to wait a little bit. Maybe, you know, as I think about, Lord, that trapeze artist waiting in the air for the catcher to catch him, he doesn't know what's going to happen. And sometimes, Lord, when we're in that place waiting, fear can begin to overwhelm us and we can begin to think things that are not true about who you are and about the truth of your word and we begin to believe the lies of the devil and we begin to think I'm just not going to make it when the truth is we're not going to make it by ourselves. but the catcher's there on the other side who with his loving arms will never miss us and will never let us go and there'll be nothing that can pluck us out of his hands if we will but trust in him so Lord help us to trust you tonight Lord, I don't know what struggles or trials or tribulations people may be going through tonight, uh, even those that are watching online. But Lord, I pray that we'll come to that place of honesty, to trust you, to get closer to you, uh, and, and to be sure that the focus of our faith is not on ourselves or even on others, 
but that you are the object of our faith because you alone have the power and the ability and the authority to bring that healing, to answer that prayer, to meet that need. So, Father, we come to you bringing it all to you, and we give it to you, and we let go. We say, there it is, Lord. Help us, Lord, not to reach back over and try to pick it up again, because if we do, Lord, we're going to crash. And Father, I pray that, that we'll keep our focus on you, the catcher, and know, Lord, that you will catch us on the other side and you will see us safely through to the other side. Lord, lead us one day at a time, one moment at a time, one step at a time to follow you and to trust you. Lead us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we stand, as we sing our hymn of invitation, maybe the Lord's spoken to your heart to come tonight. Would you come as we stand, as we sing 317, Only Trust Him.
Amen, amen. What a blessing today has been. Hope you've received a blessing there online with us. Uh, we encourage you to come be with us if you can in person on Wednesday night. We'll be back in the book of Revelation uh, again. Uh, so that'll be at 6 o'clock Wednesday. We'll be back again next Sunday morning, uh, 9.15 for Sunday school, 10.30 for worship. You come and join us then, but you have a blessed week until this Wednesday, and you stay safe and keep trusting in the Lord.